There was a rather momentous occasion last Tuesday, which left many people saddened and many people rather heartened at the end of the day. And I'm, of course, referring to the temporary cessation of political attack ads in our country. Television executives and advertising executives were quite disheartened that they could no longer charge outrageous sums for political ads and had to go back to charging regular amounts for regular commercials. And the rest of us were rather gladdened that we no longer have to put up with these negative political ads. They're shameful. And they're shaming the way they do that, the way they attack one another and harm one another. And it's awful. I've been reading about shame lately, the work of Brene Brown, a doctor of psychology and social worker who has studied extensively and written about shame and its negative effects in our lives. Good Episcopalian also over at St. Martin's. And um, she writes that shame has no place no good place in our lives. Shame has no place in the kingdom of God, for certain. That we sometimes would use shame to say, well, I'm going to try to teach this person a lesson by shaming them. doesn't work. Only causes harm. So, shame has no place in the kingdom of God. Shame has no place for us as disciples of Jesus. And yet, as a culture, we love shame. We hate being shamed, but we love shame as entertainment. And how many TV shows and magazines and radio, everything, we love shaming other people. I mean, these competition shows that we have on TV now, the side narrative is always shaming the people. They go up and they compete, and then the judges just shame them in front of the nation, right? We love it as entertainment, which is really, Jesus might have something to say. It's like, you know, at least I'm not that bad. I can't sing, but hey, I didn't even try, so I'm not that bad. Jesus might have something to say about a log and a speck with that. Because Jesus didn't use shame in his life. When the woman was caught in adultery, and he said to the people who were trying to stone her to death, let whoever of you is without sin cast the first stone, and they eventually realized, God, he's got me. They dropped their stones, and they had to go home and find some other form of entertainment for that afternoon. And then what did he say to the woman? glad I was here because you know you deserve that. No, he didn't say that, right? He didn't shame her. He didn't say, you wicked adulteress. He said, has anyone condemned you? No, Lord. Well, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He didn't say, stop being a wicked sinner, stop being a wicked adulteress. He said, go and sin no more. This thing that you did, which was not good, does not define you. Stop doing it. And then go live out who God has made you to be. He didn't shame her. He saved her and showed her a better way. As disciples of Jesus, we are to be reconcilers and healers in the world. Is that what he will find when he returns and finds his church? Will he find a community of his disciples living as reconcilers and healers? Back to that. Thinking about who we are and who we, uh, who we are as the church, I'm going to sidetrack for a second here. Because um, I figured it would be a good time to address this particular issue. Um, 
and that is about a choir that for at least five years, ever since I've been here and the years before that, we've been trying to have a choir and a really strong mini-membered choir like we used to. And we don't. And I kept thinking, we're going to try, we're going to try, we're going to get it. We just don't have enough people who are able to be here regularly to feel the choir. I don't think there's any shame in that. I think that's just where we are. I was at a clergy conference a couple weeks ago, and there were about 200 or so of us, shoulder to shoulder, because we passed the church where we were, the chapel at, at Camp Allen, where we were having Eucharist, and there was no choir. There were 200 of us, shoulder to shoulder, singing these hymns, which we knew and loved, and it was beautiful. The music was gorgeous at clergy conference. And we didn't have anyone singing at us. We were just singing ourselves as a community. So I called our, the folks who have been faithfully trying to get a choir and form a choir and be a choir, and I told them about this and that we're just going to stop for a while and let that die and see what's resurrected from it. And then we take our strongest singers and we keep them here amongst all the whole congregation. And we get to sing together and to pray together. And those that are stronger singers can lift up those that are weaker singers, and those that are weaker singers get to hear this strong voice and say, well, I can do that. I can sort of hide under that a little bit and sing out a little more. And if you sing off-key, sing loud off-key. And if you sing on-key, sing loud on-key. It's a prayer. It's not a performance. So we get to pray together. I would also encourage us, let's sit closer together so we don't have one person here and one here and a couple here. We can move in. Be shoulder to shoulder and actually uplift each other in, in the prayer and worship and in our singing as well. I don't think Jesus is going to come back and return and say, where's my choir? Right? He's not coming back to make sure we're still fielding a choir. Jesus is returning and he's going to make sure that we're still living as his disciples. That we're living as reconcilers and healers in the world. Because that's who we're called to be. And in that community, shame has no place. We're, we're called to be a community where we don't tear one another down. And we don't tear people down once we leave here either. But rather, we build one another up. And we have the courage and the compassion to share our faults and failures without fear of shame. We have the courage and compassion to share our faults and failures in order to be healed and reconciled as disciples of Jesus. Jesus calls us and wants us to live into who he has made us to be. And so as his disciples and reconcilers and healers, we're not just going to take just enough oil, say this oil of discipleship. We're not going to take just enough to make sure our lamps can just make it. And we're not going to say, I've done enough. I've done enough discipleship. I think I'm good. I've done enough reconciling. I've done enough healing. I should be good. I can stop now. My oil is kind of exhausted and spent, and I've done enough. That's not who we're called to be. Because we're not called to be people who do enough, or not enough, or more than enough. We are called to be disciples of Jesus. 
to be reconcilers and healers. And that means we carry with us this overabundance of oil, this overabundance of discipleship, so we're no longer thinking about, have I done enough? We're simply saying, this is who I am. And we become His disciples. We become reconcilers. We become healers. So we're not thinking about, how much have I done? It's simply, I act naturally. Out of trusting in God, trusting in Jesus, that He has made me into this. And now I will live this out naturally. And it does take effort on our part, right? We have to make sure we're carrying that extra oil with us. People who are great at whatever they do don't just wake up one day and say, Aha! I'm a nuclear engineer. They study and practice and become a nuclear engineer. Or a doctor. Or a nurse. Or any other thing that we are, we become that. And so we practice, and we practice being reconcilers. We practice healing. We practice being Jesus' disciples every day. And over time, we trust in Jesus, and we practice trusting in Jesus, too, that he has made us into his disciples as reconcilers and healers. So when he comes back, at the end of all time, or later today, whenever he comes back, he's always with us, right? He finds a church full of lamps that are lit. His disciples of reconcilers and hearers. Amen.